0: Tonight's edition of 7 is brought to you by Future. person has turned out to be an absolute killer. Join me as we explore some of the most prolific serial killers and homicides of the 20th century. You're listening to 7. All right, I'm your host K-Town and I want to welcome you back to 7. If you are a new listener Thank you for joining me tonight, and here on 7, you're going to hear best-selling true crime authors discuss some of the most infamous serial killers and homicides of the 20th century. And tonight, my special guest is C.L. Sweeney, and he's going to be discussing his book called Werewolf Killer that details the murderous rampage of Mikhail Popkov. A Russian policeman who raped and killed women after offering them late-night rides was found guilty of dozens more murders today making him the country's most prolific killer in recent times if he had not been caught mikhail would have just kept on killing and it is thought that he has claimed more than 81 souls here now is best-selling true crime author c.l sweeney here to discuss his book called werewolf killer special guest tonight is true crime author cl sweeney to discuss his book called werewolf killer the true story of a russian cop turned serial killer cl i want to thank you very much for joining me tonight
1: hey i really appreciate the invite i love doing shows and um i've been following your show for a while and finally we got to connect so thank you for the invite
0: you're welcome and now you've written a lot of great true crime books and I definitely suggest this one. It is available on Amazon. And I want to know what inspired you to take a closer look into these disturbing murders and uh, decide to write a book about it.
1: Well, my thing is, my niche in the uh, true crime world is that I work in law enforcement and I write these books to try to give the victims a voice. It's kind of something that I've done for um, all these books. This this was my 10th true crime book. And um Mostly it's serial killers. Actually, they're all serial killers, but across the the globe, basically. So I did this one because um, Mikhail, the suspect, was uh, confessing to murders at an alarming rate, making him the most prolific serial killer for the entire country of Russia. But I had some kind of frustration around the case because he was at one time an officer. And as I mentioned, I work in law enforcement, so I was fascinated to see how an officer could to get to this other side of the world and and get to uh, committing crime. Um, And then what I do is I donate the proceeds of the books to victims uh, in the cases. So um, I've been doing that for the last five years. And this particular book was a challenge because it was out of Russia and I couldn't just take my private jet to Russia and do some research like I wanted to. So I had to kind of get creative with how I got some of my information.
0: Um, That was actually one of my questions I was going to ask you. Were you able to go to Russia as far as your research was concerned? So since you wasn't able to actually go there, how long did it take you to put this book together?
1: Uh, This book was uh, over a year in, um, well, almost just under a year of collecting data because the story broke in 2012. But I was able to, because I've been in law enforcement for 18 years And I used to be in a task force. I was a trainer across the country. Um, I probably trained close to a thousand officers uh, throughout the United States. And in that time, I was able to develop some friendships. And just so happened that some of them actually came visiting from Russia. Um, And then in my office that I work at, there's actually some Russian um, employees. So I was able to kind of utilize my name. Some people know my name now as an author, as well as my Um, status in law enforcement and then my connections that I developed. So I was able to grab the, um, much of what I got from sources over in Russia. And then, um, from there I was collecting data through the internet and other searches, but most, most of it was in uh, Russian. So I had to find somebody to be a translator, which was, uh, was a task itself as well. But, um, it was a long process. And, um, I was unable, like some of my books, I'm able to get a hold of family members, uh surviving family members of uh, some of the victims in my cases, but in this particular one I wasn't able to speak to him directly, so I was kind of bummed out about that. Um so it was a it was a long process but well worth it because the book came out pretty decent. Um
0: so I want to ask you as far as Mikael is concerned, didn't they make a movie about him?
1: Um not that I am aware of. Uh they they were talking about doing some and there's some movies that are out that they have said are related to him, but he, as far as I can tell, is not the official subject of some movies that he's, he's what he did as a police officer and what he did in some of his crimes have been used in some movies, but I don't think specifically one was dedicated to him.
0: All right. So let's start off with his childhood. Can you tell us what you learned about him as far as growing up in Russia and whether or not um, something may have happened that may have set him on the path to becoming a serial killer.
1: Yeah, so Mikhail's story was, it was kind of interesting as a, as a youngster. And like I said, I didn't, I didn't get as much data as I would have liked to in this case, but um, his family ties are strong with his mom. And he was, for a lack of better terms, a, a normal kid and a normal person um, for most of his adult life, or young adult life. But he, he's, he um, graduated uh, the equivalent of high school in Russia, um, he used to hang out with his friends. He was well-liked. He was uh, attractive. He had girlfriends. Um, he re- t- uh, received good marks in school. His mom pushed him very hard to to do well in school and stressed education. An interesting sidebar with him was that there's not much known about his father. And when he is asked about his father, he never really talks about him. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So his tie is his strongest tie was with his mom. Um, he kind of had jobs, odd jobs as a, as a young adult. Um, he was a ski instructor for a while. He also um, sold cars, used cars. Um, but then he got into law enforcement and when he was in law enforcement, his wife also worked the same, um, office and they were kind of the life of the party. Um, she was very attractive and he was obviously attractive and charismatic and they were known to throw really nice parties or, or get togethers, um, in their hometown and as far as a, an incident or what happened was after one of those parties, uh, Alina, which was his wife, um, she's since divorced him, but she stuck by him for quite a while during this case. But anyway, um, she asked him to take out the trash, um, from one of these parties. And as he's dumping the trash, he sees used condoms, um, in the trash and he immediately just snaps he assumes because his wife was always being hit on and she's very attractive. And there was rumors at the uh, police department that she was cheating on him. He sees those condoms and basically confronts her about it. And that is basically the defining moment of Mikhail. Um, he confronts her. She denies it. She still denies it um, throughout the first trial in this case and, and never has admitted to cheating on him. Um, but, He could not let it go. And after the discovery of those condoms, he decided that he was going to make women pay for being um, what he called loose or um, not productive members of society and started to target women that were usually under the influence of alcohol.
0: So did they stay together after that incident?
1: They did stay together after that incident.
0: Okay, let's talk about the fact that he was a cop, which is which is baffling and surprising, but it just goes to show that these guys can literally shut parts of their mind off the sickest parts of their mind off and continue to just go through life acting normal. Did he go through some type of psychological testing um, there in Russia to become a cop?
1: Yeah. Across the, across the globe, anyone that works in law enforcement has to go through some sort of uh, background process, which includes, a psychological exam.
0: If he was a serial killer, have you spoken with someone in that field to see how he can possibly pass a test like that?
1: Yeah, this, this is, this comes up quite often about how uh, when officers do stuff that the society finds appalling, how do they pass a um, a psychological evaluation. And in his situation, uh, he was quote unquote normal. So he, at the time he took that psychological examination, he was fine. And we don't know the results of that evaluation, but I can tell you that working in law enforcement for 18 years, that sometimes the results are uh, looked at differently by different people to get people through the process, especially if they're, if an agency is desperate for hires. So at the time when he took the test, he was stable. And, and we know in the serial killer world that um, it's pretty well known that you don't just – end up being born a serial killer, that there's uh, there are cases in which people were born and have sociological uh, and psychological issues, but typically there's there's incidences or events or a culmination of things that convert somebody uh, from quote-unquote being normal to serial killer.
0: Okay, that's a very interesting take on that. See, because I've heard the exact opposite where they have looked at these killers on a genetic level trying to figure out how they could kill someone with total lack of empathy or remorse so to me it seems like they're trying to figure out whether they were born this way a natural born beast that essentially cannot stop so i don't know what to think about that that's interesting
1: that's an interesting view on it um i've spoken to a lot of authors who Um, have written books about serial killers, who have interviewed serial killers. I've talked to serial killers. Uh, I've researched them for probably the last 20 years. And you can find, so what you just described, you can find examples of somebody where you could possibly point to them and say, yeah, he came out pre-genetically, inclined or she came out that way and there's no wonder he or she became a serial killer but in most of the ones that I'm ex- I'm familiar with and the books that I wrote there was a defining incident or a culmination of things that led to um, people becoming serial killers like uh, narcotic usage or over usage um, rejection is a big one for men uh, this is kind of one of those cases where he feels his wife's cheating on him so he um, be- decides he's going to go make women pay so um, there were no indicators that we were able I was able to find in this particular one that said oh yeah he he clearly was going to be a serial killer or he was destined to be a serial killer you know that kind of stuff so I think in the world of serial killers because they're so complex that you know finding that that equation if you will to describe all of them is not really possible
0: it's a new year so it might as well be a new you and I want you to follow my lead in taking charge of your fitness If you started and stopped in the past, don't get discouraged. It's happened to all of us. You know, we'll start an exercise routine and we think we're going to be able to keep it up and follow through with it. But for some reason, we stop or we can't continue. And I'm in the same boat with you. And that's why I decided to give Future a try. And since I've been using Future, I feel like I have the support I need. If I have questions about anything, my trainer is right there and I'm already seeing results. I've already lost weight. I have more energy and I just feel better. Future makes your fitness success their priority. And this is what they do. They paired me with one of their world-class trainers and my trainer's name is Paul. hope they don't mind me saying that. But um, Paul asked me about my habits, you know, what I could safely do, you know, in my level of fitness. And he created a plan tailored specifically to me and to my schedule even taking into consideration how busy I am producing the show. Everything was personalized so that I can meet my goals and see those successes. I need to see the win for me. Every time I complete a workout, that's a win for me, a success for me in my mind. And that keeps me motivated. And to make sure that you stay on track, your coach is going to check in on you daily by sending you texts Even making adjustments to your routine if need be. Uh, Say you can't do a workout on a certain day. They can push that back to another day. And following your progress when you're logged on through your Apple Watch. Now, if you don't have one, it's fine. When you sign up to train with Future, they will send you everything you need, including an Apple Watch. So don't overpay for a trainer. Get the workouts you need to meet all your fitness goals and take your trainer with you wherever you go. Sign up for Future Today. You can try Future at tryfuture.com/xpodcast and get your first 2 weeks with your personal trainer for $1. That's tryfuture.com/xpodcast for 2 weeks for only $1. I love it and it's the best thing I've done for myself thus far and I want you to join me. Again, that's tryfuture.com slash x podcast okay now that you've mentioned that you have spoke with some serial killers who have you talked to exactly
1: uh the one of the books i wrote prior to this was a serial killer at um he was in california his name is joe naso um he also goes by joe naso or joseph uh he was a serial killer that worked in california in the early 70s and was caught about 26 years later uh basically on a fluke so Um, He's in San Quentin on death row. And so we uh, communicated regularly and then uh, we had scheduled visits at San Quentin. Uh, Most of them, most of them did not go through because of the way he behaved. So it was kind of interesting, those stories that I had with Joe, but um, that's the one I spoke to directly. I know you're a cop, but was that creepy for you? You know, it actually was. Um, you know, I, like I said, I've been in law enforcement a long time and I worked everything you can do in law enforcement from wiretaps to undercover to uh, homicides and everything in between. And um, meeting a serial killer or communicating with a serial killer, you know, I thought was going to be um, not that difficult, but that particular individual quite, um, interesting. He, uh, he doesn't come out of his cell on death row. He doesn't speak to many people. And what ended up happening was the discussions were, were minimal compared to when he spoke to the media because he didn't know what to think about me, who I really was. And he was more intent on trying to extract information from me and get me to give him uh, $30 and quarters so he can get some, uh, special treats out of the vending machine. So it's kind of interesting interaction.
0: All right. So let's talk about Mikael's stint as a cop. Was he respected by his peers or did they pick up that something was very wrong with this guy?
1: No, none of the, none of the um, transcripts from the court hearings, which were many of his co-workers, were brought in to testify. Nobody pointed at that, um, indicating that he was off. Um, or that there was definitely something up with him. In fact, he he actually received quite a few accommodations. Uh, He rose through the ranks very quickly. He was well-respected in his community, as well as the police force. Um, And one incident which I found interesting was he received an accommodation for rescuing a uh, a female who was being raped in the town that he worked. Um, And I just found that interesting because he later becomes a rapist and serial killer.
0: That's shocking, actually. You know what?
1: I agree. Was he working
0: with women on a regular basis as a cop or what?
1: He was uh, committing these crimes as when he was in law enforcement. Yeah, he, what he, he would do is he would go to the local train station or to the local taverns and bars. Um, typically, he did it on Wednesdays, which were his days off. So he's also known as the Wednesday Killer. It's one of his little names for him. But he would show up in police uniform in police vehicles and wait for girls to come out of these train stations, bus depots depots, and bars. And if he noticed that they seemed like they were intoxicated, he would convince them that he'd give them a safe ride home. Um, And then we know that he he did not do that.
0: Okay, so how soon after becoming a cop did he start killing people?
1: Uh, It wasn't for a few years. It was about two and a half years before he started doing that. Uh, But he did... A couple in the very beginning, and then he didn't do many until towards the end of when he retired or, quote, unquote, left the force. He only had a six-year stint as an officer.
0: Only a six-year stint. Okay, so um, the way that you described him being off on Wednesdays and he would wait for women to come out of these different places, was he targeting them for any other reason besides the fact that he was an opportunist?
1: Um no not necessarily he was targeting them because he was mad at Elena his wife and because he believed she cheated on him um he was going to make her he was going to make all the other women in their town pay so he was targeting women that um were attractive that looked similar to his wife had similar build to his wife um and that he thought were um uh, you know they were intoxicated and they were kind of a, a black eye on society and they shouldn't be allowed to live that was his reasoning okay
0: and what did his wife look like
1: uh to describe her she would be very attractive dark hair she had um uh she was probably about five six medium build um, she was in good shape they they skied a lot and worked out a lot um mikhail was a biathlete so they constantly worked out and trained so she was in good shape um pretty eyes just just a very 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 attractive
0: lady all right tonight my special guest is cl sweeney and we are discussing his book werewolf killer and it is available on amazon and i will have more for you when we return right after this my special guest is best selling true crime author C L Sweeney, and we are discussing his book called Werewolf Killer. All right. So since you've been researching serial killers, um, is there something about Mikhail that sets him apart from all the others?
1: Yeah, I would say that there's a couple of little things that would set him apart. One is the just the amount of women that he um he killed during his um, killing spree is 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 astronomical, really. I mean, 81 um, kills is the number that he's at right now, but um, I was given some information about a month ago that that number may eclipse 100. And the reason why that number keeps climbing is because Mikhail doesn't want to go to a prison known as Black Dolphin. Um, Black Dolphin is a prison in Russia that is the worst of the worst. See why Mikhail does not want to Go there. Um, unique to him too was that he he uh, a couple of things. He, he he used his position as an officer to gain trust from women. Um, he would then go out and commit brutal murders. And some of the killings he did that was unique was that he actually, um, and I don't know how graphic you can go on your show, but he actually killed several of his women uh, victims with his bare hands. Um, He also decapitated a woman, um, also ripped out a woman's heart. So that's why they call him the werewolf killer. So he's, you know, these serial killers can go, off the reservation, if you will, but Mikhail kind of, he was so angry and would snap so hard that he would physically, with his bare hands, um, kill somebody and then kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, mess with their body some and and do even more damage. So those those factors make him um, unique. Also unique to his case was that Were it not for the Russian government collecting DNA samples uh, from officers and previous officers, Mikhail would have never been found. Um, And that's important in this case because he would actually go to crime scenes of murders that he committed and he could take evidence. He could uh, hide evidence. Um, he would also use evidence from the locker at the police station, like shovels and hose and ropes and things from evidence and use those at the crime scene. So that made it also very unique in that respect. Now,
0: C.L., I want to ask you, where was he actually dumping the bodies? Was he burying them? What was he doing with the bodies exactly?
1: Uh, no, he had no reservations at all about burying the bodies. He he could care less. Um, he would take them out to usually out to the woods, just outside of town, um, sometimes down an isolated road. But normally just kind of outside the outskirts of town, go out into the, the woods, and then you would force them to um, do uh, sexual acts. Um, and then he would just kill them. I mean, he had no second thought about it. Um, and then he wouldn't hide the bodies. They would just uh, they would just be found by hikers or family. It was an alarming rate as to when he was killing and how often he was he was killing. And women were told not to go out at night and go with a buddy and those kind of things. But it didn't. It's one of those things where he took a lot of pride in what he was doing and getting a lot of satisfaction in what he was doing. So he did not dispose of the bodies too much. Um, only towards the end did he make some efforts to hide some of the bodies. But that would be like uh, putting. Um, leaves, a small amount of dirt, just things like that. He wouldn't actually make graves or things like that.
0: Damn, this guy didn't care. Uh, And I'm sure he got more and more confident as time went along. Let's talk about his preferred method of killing, where most of them killed the same way, or did he use something different on all the victims?
1: Uh, That's a good question. Um, Normally, well, I don't want to say normally because it's a serial killer, but sometimes they have a specific way that they like to do that, um, how they like to commit their murders, but Nikhil didn't. Um, He literally used um, hammers, knives, his bare fists, um, tree branches, rope, uh, guns. I mean, he he, baseball bats, he had no real particular method that he chose or liked over the other, it was just a matter of, I'm going to find a victim, I'm going to kill this victim, and then I'm going to do it again um, shortly thereafter. I mean, he just, he became a a killing machine. Mm
0: -mm -mm. Now, how often was he killing? You said every Wednesday, but was he killing Wednesday and then every other day that he possibly could?
1: No, because he killed over like a 12-year period. Um, so he wasn't doing it. Um, I'm sorry. I think it was 18 years, but he wasn't doing it that often, like every other day or every Wednesday, but oftentimes uh, he would have Wednesdays off and it was more like, um, Once a month, sometimes three or four a month, that kind of thing. So it wasn't like uh, every day or every week, but it was even over a course of 18 years. If you divide that by 81 um, known victims, it's still quite a few a year. So it, it was pretty bad.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the investigation. Were Russian police fairly certain that these women were being killed by the same person early on? or did that take them a while to figure that out?
1: uh they were they were in the first in the beginning of that case and in, in Mikhail's case they were not convinced it was the same person um they actually didn't get into that until later on when um they started seeing the reason why they didn't connect him in the beginning was because he was using different methods um and so that didn't make sense to them but they started seeing things um like uh there was track of um off road vehicles used by law enforcement out in that area that were out, out being discovered at these crime scenes. And so they were curious about that um, at some of the crime scenes. There was also um, some surviving uh, – well, there's one surviving victim for sure of attempted murder, um, and she actually – pointed and directed the local law enforcement to McHale. And because he was so re- well-respected and admired by his peers, um, they just said that the girl had such significant brain injuries that there was she was just making it up. So they never looked into McHale. Um, and so had they done that, they would have prevented probably, at that time, close to 60 murders.
0: Wow, unbelievable. Really, that's just unbelievable. My God, if they didn't catch this guy, he would have never stopped. Okay, now as far as the um investigators are concerned, did they reach out to the public for help in this investigation at any point in time?
1: Yeah, and the public was very upset, obviously family members were losing their loved ones um, and they wanted answers and the police department didn't have the answers. And so, you know, in these types of cases that just starts to build a large amount of frustration and anger And the community was very upset with the um, police department. Um, And so they, they, they took to uh, the streets they made um, billboards they made pamphlets i mean it was it was quite aggressive by the community their their own kind of mini investigation into what was going on and even even uh the so the girl that survived she was actually young but she was very developed and so he thought she was older but she ended up being 15 um she was an attempted murder uh victim who who survived there was other girls who he did not kill but rape um and left them uh, in the fields thinking that they would die or that he was so powerful and and in control that he didn't care that they would go tell somebody because he felt like he was kind of invincible. Um, And so those keys, those little factors were coming out, and, and people in the community were convinced that the killer was somebody in law enforcement, but the local law enforcement didn't buy it. So it was a very tragic situation and a breakdown of communication and people not paying attention to clues.
0: Okay, I want to know if Russia uses profilers like the FBI does in the United States.
1: Oh, yeah. They definitely use uh, profilers, but they weren't—they never used anybody until uh, three-quarters of the way into that case to try to come up with a profile. But at that point, Mikhail had already, quote-unquote, retired from the police force and was on the other side of the continent, basically, doing his thing. And he had disposed of a lot of the evidence because whatever was being collected was going to the um, police force where he worked. And he was slowly making things disappear um, or misplacing them and causing problems with the investigation. So he had a hand in all that.
0: OK, does Russia have a particular way that they investigate homicides? Do they have a special task force for that or who does that? Each.
1: Yeah, they do. Um, each police force has special units similar to, United, to the United States. They're they're uh, commanders instead of detectives, but their their same job is it, what they do there is what we do here. They have um, officers, men and women who uh, get promoted, who conduct investigations, and they have at this police force that he worked was a large police force. So they had a, a homicide, if you will, unit. Um, they use different terms, so they're a little bit slightly different, but they do exactly the same stuff that you you would see in the United States.
0: Okay, very good. So let's talk about how he finally popped up on their radar. Do you know how that happened?
1: Yeah. So he re- he retires or leaves the police force. Uh, there's some speculation as to why he left because he was on a high, um, he was on a fast track and doing well, but I think everything got too, uh, too intense for him and he was making some mistakes. And so he was convinced that um, he would get, he if he stayed, he probably would get caught. And at the time when he left, he never considered DNA. Um, and what happened was, uh, I think it was in uh, 2012 um, is when the Russian, uh, officials, the government said, Hey, uh, we need the DNA of all current officers and all previous officers. So they actually created a database and collected DNA of over 3,500, I think, or 4,000 officers, um, current and past. And from that database collection of DNA, which Mikhail willingly gave up because he never thought Russia would catch up to technology. Um, They were able to identify um, DNA taken from many of the crime scenes, connected them directly to Mikhail's DNA. Um, And when they made that discovery, they actually caught him on the other side of the country trying to board a plane to China. So Mikhail must have figured it out and thought maybe he could make it to China. Mm, I want to
0: know about as far as that trial is concerned. Now, I looked online. I'm not sure if this is the same guy or not. I'm just drawing off memory here. He was in some type of cage watching the trial proceedings. Was that
1: him? Yeah, Yeah, that's standard for well, he's in that cage for a couple of reasons. Um previous serial killers from Russia, um Alexander, I think it's uh Pushkin and Andre Chikatilo, those are those are the Um, two big names and serial killers, you know, as serial killers in Russia. And they used to do gruesome things to to their victims as well. So they put them in that um, cage. But that cage is also there because that's how they function at Black Dolphin. And so when he comes, he's allowed to dress in uh, uh, business attire, if you will, but they keep him in that cage and treat him um, essentially like an animal.
0: Okay, well, I saw that. And it doesn't look like they get the same treatment as killers do here in the United States. I want to ask you also, um, I know that this man has done some horrific things to people, but was there anything that he did to these victims that truly shocked you?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, being in law enforcement and him using law enforcement to to seduce women into his vehicle and then kill 81 of them, uh, that's to me just outlandish and bizarre and Really kind of blows my mind um, that he would do that. Um, the team of the carnage he created, I mean, there's not a lot of stories of serial killers ripping somebody's heart out of their body. Um, that's kind of. Uh, disturbing to me quite a bit. Um, and also in one of his incidences, he was wearing a police medallion that they issue you when you're in the uh, in the force, and he took two women out in this particular incident um, and thought he had killed them. One of them survived, they had a fractured skull, but Mikhail realized when he got home that his medallion was missing. Um, and he went back to the crime scene, found her alive, um, retrieved his medallion and then finished her off with a shovel um, I found that pretty disgusting and um, you know it's it's just an example of what kind of rage this guy can have in such disregard for human life so I found it um, I found it crazy it's just a very crazy case in my opinion
0: were all his victims women did he ever kill any men or children that you know of
1: no there's no documented children it's all uh, women um, in their late teens to early 30s um he would have killed one, that younger one um that we were talking about earlier who survived. She was fifteen. She actually survived the whole attack and and, and uh medically she recovered, but obviously she had to li- live with that situation. I don't know which one's worse. The somebody trying to kill you and you survive or you identify the murderer and nobody helps you. I mean, that's just tragic. I, I I can't find I don't understand how that happened, but it did.
0: Right. Are serial killers rare in Russia or do they produce them like we do here in the United States?
1: Uh, no, they're not as, I mean, the United States has a long history of serial, serial killers. So does Russia, but not to the extent that we do. They don't have the same numbers. Um, they have They have basically three top three serial killers who were in the 40s and 50s and 80s as far as victims. So numbers wise so um, if you know anything about serial killers you knew about Alexander and Andre and now you know Mikhail is going to take the, the top spot if you will I don't know if anybody ever tries to would want to have that title I certainly find it appalling but nonetheless they don't have they have documented serial killers there they do have their share of serial killers but the United States has more.
0: That's very strange and intriguing that we have more than them or more, probably more than any other country. Why does the United States produce more serial killers than any other country in the world?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think you'd need a show just dedicated to that. But I think my personal opinion is uh, this United States is, you know, a melting pot. It's got a lot of different cultures and a lot of different stressors and a lot of different things going on. Um in our country, I mean, we have our fair share of just disturbing serial serial killers in, in our past, and you know, currently we're running into um, you know the East Bay rapist uh, serial killer was was uh, apprehended, and that's that's a doozy. You know, in the United States, we have we had him, we have the Zodiac, who's still outstanding, and and we have those kind of glorified, long running you know serial killers from the '60s, if you will. But then you know, the definition is uh, some people use for serial serial killers three or more and you know we're seeing that across the united states kind of at an alarming rate um i would argue that mental health and depression is taking its toll on americans um no matter what culture you come from and the abuse of pharmaceutical medications um coupled with people being raised in environments that unlock the potential of becoming uh, a killer and not having any regard for human life um is magnified in the United States. So I think that's why, um, at least some of the reasons why the the numbers are higher here.
0: Okay, I totally agree with you there. Um, now, you talk about some of these women survived his attacks. Do you know exactly how many? Uh,
1: I don't know exactly, but when I was doing research for the book, um, I think there was at least four that survived. Uh, one was a young girl who was 15, Svetlana was her name, and then there was a couple uh girls that were not attempted murder uh victims they were uh they were um uh, sexually assaulted by him and uh they actually did not report his, him being the suspect until after the case broke. Um, so, and then, you know, me being in law enforcement, we see that quite often where victims don't want to come forward because of, uh, they have to relive the situation. They don't know if they want to talk about it in court. They don't want to talk to anybody about it. They feel embarrassed and all the different factors. But in this case, I'm not sure what goes through a, a victim's mind when they just end up being sexually assaulted by an officer. You know, I, I think that the mind games there would be pretty significant.
0: Right. Is Mikhail still alive? Yeah. Okay. I thought that in Russia, once you're convicted of a murder, they execute you right then and there. Is that not the case anymore?
1: Uh, No, they, they have done that in the past, but even Russia has become more civil, if you will. Um, and his case is not finished yet. So his they use that Black Dolphin facility um, and you have many killers in that facility who are serving life sentences now. So um, and because Mikhail is cooperating with law enforcement, and keeps um, convincing them that there's more victims and actually he's actually taken out of prison and led across the, the country. And he shows them locations of where um, he's done some uh, murders and they find evidence of murders there. So that's how he he's playing a game with law enforcement still. And that's how he gets a time out of the facility.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to stay out of Black Dolphin prison, but really he should be up under Black Dolphin prison. Black Dolphin is a hell on earth that he certainly deserves. I mean, come on, the guy has surpassed their eligibility to be there
1: oh i yeah i mean it it's what it's what the country or what the what the people decide as far as what you do with the death penalty or if you put somebody to death for being a serial killer or for mass murder or whatever you know whatever people use for that equation but you know uh, 30 years ago russia would have definitely done things differently but they're they're trying to be um more politically correct, if you will. There's more pressure from the community to be more understanding. And there was a big push at one point to say that, you know, the incident of Mikhail finding those condoms and realizing the love of his life had cheated on him made him snap and so that he wasn't in his right state of mind when he killed over 18 years and 81 women. So he should get some forgiveness, which I find, you know, absolutely ridiculous.
0: Yeah, absurd. I have one more question about murders in Russia. Do they or do they not still have the death penalty there?
1: Uh, It's up in the, it's actually up in the air is the correct response to that right now. Um, They, in certain regions, um, they are trying to get that established um, so the answer is it's kind of up in the air. Um, I would, If I had to guess, um, I think they're going to have some version of the death penalty. Um, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but I also think that they're going to do largely what the United States does, um, especially where I'm from in California, where you get the death penalty and you get placed on death row, but the Supreme Court rules it's inhumane on how we uh, kill you, so you just remain on death row your whole life.
0: CL, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you tonight. I want you to take a moment to tell my listeners where they can find more information about you or anything else you're working on.
1: Uh, First of all, thank you very much for letting me be on the show. Um, I'm happy we finally connected and got this uh, worked out, so thank you so much for that. Um, If if your readers want to find out more about me, they can uh, type in the letters CL Swinney on Amazon.com and you'll see my author page pop up and see all the stuff that um, I do and all my books and all my social media stuff. And you can also find my email address and send me uh, emails directly. And I respond usually within a day. So if anybody has any questions or comments or things like that, they can get a hold of me that way. Um, And then as far as projects, I also write uh, crime fiction and poetry and short stories. So I'm kind of working on those right now. I don't have any Major true crime projects on the horizon, but um you can expect something by the end of the year. I just don't know who the target's going to be yet
0: okay that's awesome. Do you think you'll write something about a female serial killer anytime in the near future?
1: Uh, I haven't written any of uh my books about female serial killers um and you know there's not a ton of them out there and, and the ones that are out there there's so many books on it. I kind of not, not like to do it um because I don't want to reinvent the wheel if you will, but um that would be an interesting topic, and the only the only uh, hesitation I have on it is that my perspective might be slanted because I'm a male. You know, I, I kind of sometimes in my books talk about how these guys may have acted or why they did what they did, and I'm using it based just on my my view or my position as a male. So I don't know if I'd speak very well for females, but um, as far as collecting the data and uh, maybe interviewing one or something like that would be pretty interesting is, if they would let me. So that's a good idea yeah, maybe I'll do
0: that. All right. Many blessings to you. And I really appreciate your time.
1: All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Okay. So that's going to bring this one to a close. I want to thank my special guest, best-selling true crime author, C.L. Sweeney, for joining me again. You can pick up this book called The Werewolf Killer, as well as his others on Amazon. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review for us on Apple Podcasts. And I will make sure to give you some love. Okay, on the next show. And I will have more of these shocking interviews for you week after week with the best true crime authors on some of the most infamous serial killers and homicides of the 20th century. I am your host, K-Town. I want you to stay safe, have a great night, and I'll see you next time on 7.